We're going to go through the Sefer HaMedrash V'Hamasa and Parshas Lech Lecha. The first piece of Drush begins with a few questions. The Gemara in Nidarim Lamed Beis Amid Aleph says that when Hashem told Avraham, when he commanded him to do a circumcision, he said, follow in front of me and you will be pure. So the Gemara says, Avraham was very frightened. He was concerned that maybe there's something wrong with him. Why is Hashem telling him to become pure? It sounds like right now there's something wrong. Once he heard Hashem say that this bris is going to be a covenant between them, so then Avraham calmed down, he felt better about the whole thing. So the Hamedrash Ramasa wants to understand why at first was Avraham concerned that the mitzvah of bris meant that he was missing something, and what calmed him down by finding out that there was a covenant. Now, the Medrash has a comment that Avraham said, Before I did bris milah, how you overim vishavim bayim etzli, passerbys would come to my house. As we know, Avraham was very hospitable. Now that I did a bris milah, Avraham is concerned, ain overim vishavim bayim etzli, that people are no longer going to stop by and visit him. So again, this needs to be understood. Why would doing a bris milah prevent people from stopping by to visit Avraham? And the third question is on the Gemara in Brachos Yud Gimel Amid Aleph. The Torah says that Hashem changed Avraham's name from Avram to Avraham because he's the father of many nations. So the Gemara quotes two views. Bar Kapra says that calling Avraham Avram is a violation of a mitzvah asay. The Torah said to call him Avraham and not Avram. And then it adds that Rabbi Lezer said that it's even a violation of a lav. The Torah said The Torah said that his name is no longer Avram, so anyone calling him that is violating a love. So the Medrash Ramasa wants to understand why does Bar Kapara think that it's only an Asay, not a Lav? And another question that the Gemara itself asks, why is there a problem to call Avraham by his original name, but not Sarah or Yaakov? We don't even call Yaakov by his changed name of Yisrael. We call him Yaakov. So to answer all this, the Amedrash Ramaseh goes to another comment in the Mishnah in Nidarim Lamed Aleph. The Mishnah quotes a number of statements about how central a mitzvah bris mila is. So Rabbi Lezer ben Azariah says, Me'usahi ha'orla shinisganu boharashayim, that having the foreskin is denigrating because that's how we insult rishayim. So the benefit of mila is that it removes the foreskin, the arla. And Rabbi Shmal praises mila, gedola mila shenichrasu that Mila is great because there are 13 covenants surrounding Bris Mila. So Rebbe Lezer ben Azaria praises Mila as something that removes the undesirable Arla. So that's the point of it, that it gets rid of the Arla. And Rebbe Shmuel praises Mila as something positive in and of itself, that there are 13 covenants surrounding Bris Mila. So the Hamedrash Vamasa explains the debate between Rebbe Lezer ben Azaria and Rebbe Yoshua is parallel to the debate between the Rambam and the Ramban, what the reason for the mitzvah of Bris Mila is. 
is. The Rambam says that the purpose of Mila is to weaken the desires of a person, whereas the Ramban says that this is the first mitzvah that was given to Avraham because it symbolizes the sanctity of the Jewish people and that they are going to be connected through a covenant with Hashem. So according to the Rambam, the purpose of bris Mila is to remove something undesirable, these very strong passions, whereas according to the Ramban, it's something more positive. It creates a connection between Hashem and the Jewish people. Now, Damerish Ramasa understands that even the Rambam would agree somewhat with the Ramban that there has to be something more positive about bris Mila. He's not saying that this is the only purpose of bris Mila to weaken the passions, but according to the Rambam, he is saying that the way Hashem created humanity is missing something. It's not perfect because there's these very powerful passions and brismila is needed in order to perfect creation. As opposed to the Ramban, who doesn't like that style of thinking, because he wants to believe that Hashem created the world perfectly. We don't need to perfect creation by doing a brismila. Hashem created humanity in a perfect way. And the brismila is a way to add sanctity, to elevate ourselves closer to Hashem, but it's not correcting something that's wrong with creation. So that parallels the debate between Reb Lezer and Azaria. He says that the purpose of Mila is to remove the Arla. So that's like the Rambam. And Rabbi Shmuel stresses the bris mila is about the 13 covenants, which is like the Ramban. So now the view of the Ramban is that bris mila is connected and it illustrates the special status of the Jewish people as the chosen nation of Hashem. So now the Hamedrash Vamasa asks a very basic question. How can Jews say that they're more special than anyone else? Every human being in the world is special. We all are created by Hashem. So this is the classic question. What does it mean that the Jews are the chosen people? How can we say that we're better than anyone else? And he points out that the Jews have suffered so much from different nationalisms, people who believe that their national identity is more important than other people. And that very often translates into anti-Semitism and they take out their frustration on the Jews. So how as Jews can we have our own form of quote-unquote nationalism where we think that we're better. Says that Medrash Ramasa that when we study this concept, we'll see that it has nothing to do with modern nationalism. The Torah is not proposing in any way that the Jewish people are some sort of nationalistic society. The Torah is proposing something entirely different. And he says that there is a fierce criticism from the rabbis against this concept of nationalism. And he understands that the whole story of Sodom is that they became nationalistic. If we look in the Gemara in Sanhedrin, it describes the sins of Sodom. And interestingly, the major sin of Sodom, according to the Gemara, is that they mistreated visitors and guests. So the Medrash Vamasa has a penetrating insight into nationalism. He says, is it possible that the people of Sodom treated each other so well and they only mistreated guests? In general, if you have a society of kindness, it's going to treat guests with kindness as well. And a cruel society is going to treat the people inside the society with cruelty as well. So how is it possible that only in Sodom they treated guests with cruelty, but 
not the people in the city. Says the Hamedrash Vahamasa that we see this all the time in all of our westernized, sophisticated societies. It's considered improper for people in the society to mistreat each other. So they just take out their frustration and their anger on outsiders, on guests. We see this all the time. This is one of the essential concepts of nationalism, that there's really very little kindness and generosity, but they choose not to take it out on each other because that's unsophisticated. It's impolite. So there's a fake politeness in the society and they focus all their anger that's welling up inside of them to people on the outside, to the guests. So the Gemara is describing Sodom as this sort of modern version of a nationalistic city where they take out their anger on each other on people from the outside. So what creates the unity in Sodom is not actually any generosity or unified spirit. It's just that they're unified in being anti all guests and outsiders. So even the connection between the Sodomite people together is based on their negative character traits of being against other people and creating these divisions between insiders and outsiders. And Ahmedrish Vamasa has an unbelievable imagery here. He compares it to the guests' shoals that they used to have in European cities in his times run by the Jewish community. And he says that they're cold and they're delapidated and they're falling apart, and that's how the people treat the guests. So he sees this as a modern criticism of how people in his time are treating the guests, and certainly this applies very, very well nowadays when we see this all around us, that the whole connection within a country sometimes can be purely being anti-outsiders. Now, the Hamedrash Vamasa adds something interesting. He says this balance that they got along with the people inside and were anti the outsiders happened in Sodom. But he thinks that there is some evidence that in Amora, so we always group Sodom and Amora together as if they had the same types of sins because they were both destroyed together. But he thinks that Amora was even a worse city than Sodom because there the negativity and the anger had spilled out into the open. So they no longer even followed the rules of politeness and society. They didn't even get along with each other because once the whole society is built on a base of being cruel and mean to others and hatred and anger, so eventually it's going to engulf the whole city itself, even the people that already live there. So this balance that the people inside get along with each other and they're only anti the people outside doesn't last for long, eventually the whole society disintegrates and everybody's at each other's throats. And his historical proof for this is that the Navi Yishaya criticizes the Jews for being like Sodom and Amora. But the phrase he uses is kis Sodom hayinu, we were like Sodom, le Amora daminu. We are the same as Amora. So the Medrash Ramasa understands that he's saying we're only like Sodom because in Sodom, at least the people got along with each other, even though it was fake, but they followed the rules of polite society. Whereas in Amora, it was even worse that the people were at each other's throats. And that's what the Navi Yishai is saying to the Jews, that we are even worse than Sodom. We're like Amora. So that's what he means. Kiss Sodom, you know, we're like Sodom, but we're even worse because we're the 
same as Amora. So that's an interesting theory. Now, the contrast with all of this is Avraham. Here is a person who is all about kindness and giving, not only to the people in his circles, but to any passerby, any guest, any outsider, Avraham wants to give to anyone that he's possibly able to. So this is a very strong, the most powerful contrast that could be with Sidom and Amora. Now, the Hamedrash Vamasa lists that there are different levels of hospitality. There's some people that if they see someone in desperate need, they'll give him some basic food and lodging, just the minimum. There's other people who will give them a nicer meal. They really try to take care of them. There's some people, even if they're in a city and there's a lot of other people who could host the person, they still want to do the mitzvah. They're looking to be able to host people, even if the person's not desperate. Then higher than that is if someone is just traveling through somewhere for the day, so they don't need to be really hosted. It's not overnight. It's not during mealtime. And still the person wants to give them. And even higher than that is that a person doesn't even really need to be hosted. And still this host wants them to come stop by just to be able to give them something, even though the person is totally taken care of. Says the Hamedrash Vamasa, if we read the Pasuk about Avraham's hospitality, so it alludes to all five of these aspects. It says, Va'ekha pas lechem. He gives them bread, which is the basic mitzvah. Then, V'yel habakar rots. He then runs to get them a fancier meal of some meat. Then the Pasuk says that Avraham was Yoshev Be'elone Mamre. He was sitting in Mamre's area. And the Medrash talks about how he had a few friends there. So this was a city. There were other people living there. And those people could have done some of the hospitality. But even so, Avraham wanted to be the host. Kechom Hayom, the Torah says that he was sitting there in the heat of the day. So even though it's a regular time for people to be traveling, it's not overnight. They don't need somewhere to stop off. Still, Avraham wants to be able to give them something. And finally, the rabbis have a view that these visitors of Avraham looked like angels. So they were people that did not need anything. They weren't even people. Avraham knew that they didn't need anything. And still, he was desperate to give them some hospitality. So the Torah emphasizes these five levels of hospitality in the story of Avraham's hospitality to show how central this mitzvah was for him. And again, the Torah contrasts this with Sidom because the way it describes the angels coming to Sidom is Ba'u Sidoma. They came to Sidom. So they needed somewhere to stay. They were not just passing through. And it says that it was Ba'ereb. It was at nighttime. So here we have a situation in Sidom where the angels are desperate for somewhere to stay. And still the Sidomites won't allow Lot to let them stay in his house. In other words, Sidom is the polar opposite of Avraham. Not only do they not want to do hospitality, but even someone that's desperate, they won't even allow people to do hospitality for strangers. And the even more incredible thing is that when Hashem wants to destroy this evil, rotten society, Avraham, none other than the great chesed-loving Avraham, is the one who davens hard to save them. So this is an unbelievable twist to the story that Avraham is begging Hashem to save people who reflect the polar opposite values that he does. Now, to bring this all back to the mitzvah of bris milah, so the Gemara famously says that Avraham kept the whole Torah even before it was given. He followed the rules of the Torah. 
Now, the question that the commentators ask, and there's many different answers to this question, is why then did Avraham not do a bris milah even before Hashem commanded him? Why did he wait to do that one mitzvah if he was keeping the rest of the Torah and only did it after he was commanded? So again, there's many answers to this question, but the Hamedrash Vamasa suggests a very cute answer. He says that the whole question only applies according to the Rambam, that the purpose of bris milah is to remove the Arla, which creates some impurity. So then the question would be, why did Avraham not do that even before he was commanded? But according to the Ramban, the purpose of Mila is to reflect that the Jews are the chosen people. Says the Hamedrish Vahamaseh, of course Avraham is not going to do that mitzvah on his own because it's a nationalistic mitzvah. It means that the Jews are better than other people. And that goes totally against the whole worldview of Avraham. He is a man of the people. He believes that everyone, outsiders, insiders, everyone is equal. So of course Avraham is not going to go ahead and do a mitzvah which reflects the fact that Jews are better than other people, which goes against his whole teaching in life, that everyone is created equal and we should do chesed for anyone that we possibly can, even wicked people like Sidom. So now this premise explains the line in the Gemara. When Hashem commanded Avraham to do a bris milah, so Avraham got very worried, he said, Shema yesh miguna. Maybe there's something wrong with me right now because he couldn't imagine the view of the Ramban that the mitzvah of bris milah indicates that the Jews are the chosen people. That goes against the whole grain of Avraham's thinking. So the only reason he could come up with is the Rambam's reason. There must be something wrong with the Arla that it needs to be removed. So Avraham was very worried. There must be something wrong with me. And it's not just about him, but it's about all of creation. It seems to be that there is something wrong with the creation of Hashem. So Avram was very upset about this idea that the world needs to be perfected. The way Hashem created man is not already perfect. But then once Hashem explained to him that the purpose of bris milah is to be a covenant between Hashem and the Jews, meaning like the Ramban, it's not that there's something wrong with creation, but the purpose of the milah is to illustrate that the Jews are the chosen people. So that calmed Avraham down because now he realized that there was nothing wrong with creation. The Mila is just an elevated status that the Jews are the chosen people. So now Avraham was told by Hashem something that he would not have come up with logically on his own, that the Jews have an elevated status. Again, Avraham believes in the equality of all people, but now Hashem told him some new information that the Jews would be the chosen people. So Avraham, of course, accepted it, but now Avraham was bothered by a new concern. And this is what the Medrash says. Avraham said, up until I did the bris milah, I used to have all sorts of people visiting me because that was the type of home that Avraham had that was totally open and hospitable to the whole world. But now that I got the bris milah, so Avraham's worried that the passerbys are not going to come anymore because he's worried that this changes his whole world view. Maybe he should be focusing all his energy on the Jews and not on the rest of the world because the Jews have an elevated status. So Avraham is now worried that maybe the passerbys don't have a place in his house, maybe the 
Jews are on a higher level than the rest of the world. Now, the Hamedrish Vamasa adds that even the way the Torah presents the bris milah indicates like the view of the Ramban and not the Rambam. Because Avraham is 99 years old when he's commanded to do a bris milah. So according to the Rambam, that the purpose of bris milah is to weaken the passions, what is the point of a 99-year-old man who presumably already has weakened passions? Why would he need to do a bris milah? It's one thing to do it on a baby who still has his whole life ahead of him, but Avram's passions have already waned. So why does he now need to do a bris milah? So that indicates, like the Ramban, that it's a way to illustrate the connection between the Jews and Hashem. So that applies even to a 99-year-old man. It applies to anyone that's alive. And at the end of the story, it says, Vayipol Avraham al Panav, that Avraham fell on his face. So again, when people do that, it's a way of showing a connection to Hashem that they're accepting his majesty. So that again indicates, like the Ramban, that this is not just a practical mitzvah to weaken the passions, but it creates a strong bond between Hashem and the Jews. And that's why Avraham fell on his face. So now Avraham understands the purpose of Brismila. He now understands the concept of the chosen people. But again, he's worried, how is his message going to be universal if the Jews have a nationalistic identity? So now Hashem corrects him and he teaches him that the point of the Jews being the chosen people is not a nationalistic idea. It's not that the Jews are better than other people the way most nationalism sees itself, but it's really the opposite. Lo shororus ki im avdus. It's not being in charge, but it's being servants. So the Torah's nationalism is not authoritarian. It's the exact opposite. It's of being service to everybody in the world. It's not to minimize the Jews' obligations towards other nations. And to increase their own materialistic gains in the world. But it's the other way. The purpose of Jewish nationalism is to be of service and to spread the message of Hashem to the whole world and to help them to grow spiritually. So that's exactly why now Hashem changes Avraham's name to represent Avhamon Goyim, that he is the father of many nations, meaning he's teaching him that Jewish nationalism is not about physical acquisition. It's not about power. It's not about military might. It's about a spiritual mission to the world. Jewish nationalism Nationalism is a message of spirituality of the Torah to all the nations of the world, and that is now represented in Avraham. He is the Avhamon Goyim. He's not just the father of the Jewish people, but he's the father of all people who want to understand about spirituality and God. So that explains why it's a major prohibition to refer to Avraham as Avram, because that's denying the whole purpose of the Jewish people. The essence of the Jewish people is not a nation that pursues its own military or physical strength and financial gain, but it's the people who pursue the mission of Avraham to be that light unto all the nations. So by calling Avraham Avram, it's a denial of that crucial aspect. And he adds a cute idea that that's what Bar Kapra means to say that over be'asei. 
you violate a positive mitzvah, meaning the essence of the Jewish people is to do this mission of Avraham, the assay of going out into the world and spreading the message of the Torah. So by calling him Avram, it's as if the person is denying and not doing what they should be doing. So this is a very beautiful piece. It's a very great insight. Many people nowadays, I think in general, think like this, but it's very nice to see a leading rabbi like Rabbi Cheskel Lipschitz saying the same idea, and he writes about it very beautifully. Now, the halachic section has to do with doing a mila on Shabbos, even though ordinarily it's prohibited to cut someone on Shabbos, but for the mitzvah of bris mila, we allow it. So he begins with a comment in the Medrash that Hashem said to Avraham, after you do bris mila, you will be tamim, pure, but before this, you were not pure, sheha'orla temeya, because the foreskin is impure, sheha'orla cherpa, it's disgusting. So only after getting rid of the orla, you'll be tamim, you'll be fully pure. Then it adds that Rabban Gamliel said that Avram sent to shame ben Noach, the son of Noach, shame, and he asked him to come do the bris mila on Yom Kippur. So the Medrash Ramasa wants to understand what is going on in this Medrash. In the first part, it says that the Orla is disgusting, it's impure. And then right after that, it says that Avraham got shame, the son of Noah, to do the brismila. What does this have anything to do with each other? And why do we care who Avraham's Moel was? So the commentary Zeis Ra'anan from the Magan Avram, he says something cute. The halacha is that only someone who's circumcised can do a brismila on someone else. So that's the problem Avraham had. Where is he going to find a Mohel who's circumcised when he's the first person being commanded in this mitzvah? Now, Shem, the son of Noah, was born circumcised. So that's how Avraham resolved the problem. He got shame to come do the bris milah. So now he had a bris from someone who was circumcised. So the Hamedrash Vamasa questions this because the halacha is that a non-Jew, even if they're physically circumcised, cannot do a mila. The distinction is not between people who are physically circumcised or not. It's between Jews versus non-Jews. So a Jew, even if they're uncircumcised, could do a mila, and a non-Jew, even if they're circumcised, cannot. So even if shame was circumcised, since he was a non-Jew, he could not do a mila. So instead, the HaMedrash Vamasa explains that the point of this medrash is not that shame did the bris. It doesn't really matter who did the bris. The point is that Avraham did not do the bris, because there is another tradition in the Midrashim that it was Avraham himself himself who circumcised himself. So this medrash is coming to say that it was not Avraham, it was someone else, and the example of who it might have been is shame. So to explain this, the Hamedrash Vamasa discusses what is the prohibition of doing a bris milah on Shabbos. We're allowed to do a bris on the eighth day of Shabbos because the mitzvah of bris milah trumps the prohibition of Shabbos. But there is still a prohibition, and if the bris would be after the eighth day... So it was pushed off, then it would not be done on Shabbos. 
So what exactly is the prohibition of doing a bris milah on Shabbos? So he discusses a few different sources and a few different possibilities. Either it's the prohibition of cutting or it's the prohibition of separating. But then he suggests his own novel concept, which is based on a comment of Rashi. Rashi holds that there is a prohibition of binyan, of building even using living objects. So even if someone builds with a person or an animal, that would still be a violation of building. Now, based on this, the Chassam Sofer writes that if someone cuts the nail of a mohel on Shabbos, so they make the nail usable to do a brismila, that is a violation of makebepatish, which means the final hammering that makes something usable is a prohibition because you're taking it from not being finished to being finished on Shabbos. That's called makebepatish. So according to the Chassam Sofer, if someone prepares the hand, the nail of a mohel to be able to perform a brismila on Shabbos, that is a violation of makebepatish even though the mohel is a person, they're living, but according to Rashi, that's still included in the prohibition of binyan and makebepatish. Now, based on that, the Chasim Sofer explains there is a view in the Gemara that one is prohibited to have relations with a virgin for the first time on Shabbos. So the Chasim Sofer explains this view because the Gemara says that when the man has relations with a virgin the first time, osa osa kli. It's as if, metaphorically, he makes her into a vessel that's able to receive in the future. So that is prohibited on Shabbos to make a person into a vessel. So that's the Chasim Sofer's idea. Says the Hamedrash Vahamasa, we could extend this same concept also to bris milah. Because the Gemara says that Avraham was not complete until he did a bris milah. So it's the same metaphor as the relations with a besula in both cases the person is becoming complete in some way. So since the baby is now going to become a complete person through this bris mila, it's makebepatish. You're completing the baby and that would be prohibited on Shabbos. And the Hamedrash Vahamasa himself realizes that this is a very novel explanation for the prohibition of bris mila on Shabbos, but he was a very creative type and he has a lot of novel creative ideas, so this is one of them. And he also points out that this would only work according to the Rambam that we mentioned earlier, that the reason for bris mila is to remove some sort of impediment, so it is perfecting the person, as opposed to, according to the Ramban, that the purpose of bris mila is a covenant between the person and Hashem. So that's just elevating the person. It's not correcting a flaw, so that would not be makebepatish. So this explanation follows from the Rambam's interpretation of the reason for bris mila but it does not work according to the Ramban, which is okay because he points out that the Ramban would have another explanation for the prohibition. Now, based on this, if we come back to Avraham's bris milah, so the Medrash knows that the bris was done on Yom Kippur because the Torah says, Be'etzim on that day, which is interpreted to mean Yom Kippur. But now we have a problem. How could Avraham do a bris on Yom Kippur when this was not the eighth day bris of a newborn? This was a bris of conversion. And a bris of conversion is the same as a bris which is not in the proper time, which is being done late. And it does not override the prohibition of Shabbos and Yantif. 
So Avraham should not have been allowed to do his bris on Yom Kippur because it was a violation of this prohibition of Makkah So the Medrash answers that in fact it was not Avraham himself who did it because Avraham followed the rules of the Torah. It was someone else like Shame who did it and they obviously did not follow the rules of the Torah. Only Avraham did. So Shame would have been allowed to do a bris on Yom Kippur. So that's the point that this this Medrash is trying to make that Avraham would have been prohibited to do the bris on Yom Kippur. That's why he got someone else to do it. As opposed to the other view in the Medrash that Avraham did do his own bris. So that view would hold that it was not on Yom Kippur. It was some other day. So that's the flow of the Medrash that he began with. The Medrash says that not being circumcised, having an Orla brings Tuma and Cherpa, some sort of denigration and impurity. So the point of that is that doing the bris is makabipatish because like the Rambam said it perfects the person, it removes an impediment, so that is a prohibition of makabipatish based on that says the Medrash Avraham must have gotten shame to come do the bris on Yom Kippur, otherwise he would have been prohibited to do the bris himself because of this violation so that's how he reads this Medrash and he adds that there are some who point out based on the language of another Medrash, it says that Avraham could have chosen to do the bris another day, but he chose to do so on Yom Kippur. So the point is that Avraham wanted to create the day of Yom Kippur, which would of course subsequently become a pivotal day for the Jews. Avraham wanted to start that day off by doing his bris on that day. And then later in Jewish history, Hashem forgave the Jews on that day. And then we now celebrate Yom Kippur as the day of atonement.